This is your station, your music, the world famous. WXIN. Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stadium Experience with the host, Jake Ellen, the show. Talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports right here on 90.7 WXIN. I'm alone here today, but nevertheless, we got a lot we got to talk about. The Red Sox struggling a little bit, facing a quality opponent right now, down 0-2 to the Indians. Also, some pitching concerns going on with that team. The Patriots about to play preseason week three in just two days. This is going to be the big one. This is going to be the main one. You can see the starters. Most of them. We're going to talk about what we got to see from them there and about some things that have been going down in the last week with the Patriots. I wasn't on last week, so I got a few housekeeping things I want to take care of. And also, realize today, a little bit of an anniversary for the Celtics right now. So, I want to touch on that at least a little bit. And if you want to weigh in on any of these topics or anything else, really, do not be afraid to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787 and come on with me. Anyway, with all that out of the way, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And we are going to dive right on in here on a Wednesday, as usual, back in the saddle. I feel like I've been like on and off. Like I'm like an every other week, like a bi-monthly show this summer instead of a weekly show, which, you know, isn't up to my normal, my normal standards of attendance, my normal standards of consistency, but I'm here now. Didn't really feel like there was enough to feed a show last week, at least not enough stuff I was really into talking about. I felt like last week was kind of just a lot of like housekeeping stuff. The Red Sox hadn't really done anything interesting. Seemed like you just kind of had the... Patriots rolling on in week two. I didn't have I didn't have two hours of Juwan Bentley takes. Is is the point? Is what this comes down to? I didn't have two hours of Juwan Bentley takes. So I guess if I got to talk about today, which ha huh, funny when the Red Sox are doing poorly, I have things to talk about. But just the way of the world, and here we are. And we got to start off with the last two nights. The Red Sox at home have lost the Cleveland Indians. They lost last night, 6-3, with Valdi starting. And then Monday night, they lost 5-4 against the Indians. And what to make of these wins? Because I, like a lot of people at least, maybe started me, somebody who has been resistant on this Red Sox team, and I think for good reasons. I'm still resistant for some of those reasons. But nevertheless, I started feeling better about this team, not as good as everyone else who's anointing them the best team ever, a lot of people. I didn't feel as good as everybody else, but I definitely felt better about them after the Yankees series. Now I preface that with, yeah, the Yankees are th- the Yankees were beat up, but so were the Red Sox. And I said for a long time that the Yankees were better than the Red Sox. And... I can't say I feel like I can't say that anymore. Now do I now did that really hurt my really calm my postseason nerves about this team? Not really, but it, overall just my feelings were more positive, albeit not greatly changed. But now here they are again. And then you know they played a bunch as is the way in the AL. They played for weeks against nothing but crap. That doesn't matter. They beat the crap mainly, but you know, yeah. And then since the Yankees, they played the Blue Jays, the Orioles, and the Phillies, and the Rays. So, yeah, nah. So they haven't done great in between now and then, but... Well, they've done great. Now they're back up against a quality opponent, but... 
And also, for the first time since April now, they've lost three games in a row. Obviously, the last two of the game, the other one against the, the Rays, which who cares if they lost to the Rays. But they've lost two in a row now to a quality team, to the Indians. And this is about the time last year, maybe a little earlier than when the Indians heated up. So maybe they're destined to do that again and kind of fall off in the postseason, where obviously they blew a 2-0 lead to the Yankees. Which I'm obviously not forgetting. But also, this is an Indians team that the last three, four years has had, under the management of Terry Francona, has had significantly more postseason success than this Red Sox team. They've made a World Series. They've won rounds. They've won play. They've won multiple playoff games in a postseason. If you want to rag on them for losing last year, they still won more games last postseason than the Red Sox have won the last two postseasons. So just you know, remember that. But still, so I am inclined to take these Indians seriously if they come in and prove that. They can compete against the Red Sox, which currently they're doing. This is the first time these two teams have matched up all season, to my knowledge. Or at least memorably. And they've... The Indians have had a down year, I'd say. Some of the Indians, obviously, compared to last year. Some of the Indians players haven't been performing as well. But still, this is a real team. This is a real roster. A real... They have real players with real playoff experience. And they made real additions at the deadline to fix their biggest issues. Something that eh, the Red Sox didn't do. Just eh, in case anybody forgot. But... Yeah, this is a team that made real additions, adding Brad Hand, Adam Clymer at the deadline to round up that bullpen, something that the Red Sox did not do in this. Yeah, this is a team. The Indians are not a team I think we can just look at and go, oh, well, the Red Sox are just spluttering. And I'm not saying the Indians are better, unlike some people. Some people have been saying that. I, I don't know if I'm there, but also in this AL where teams are just kind of eating through crappy teams to stockpile wins, and some better than others, which in defense, the Red Sox have been the best at going against crappy teams and not losing focus, and winning games and stockpiling, you know, numbers in the win column. I have a guy out. Nope, thought I saw a guy outside with a knee inside. I got excited. But still though i'm not just gonna look at the fact that the red sox have 13 more regular season wins again than the indians say well the red sox are clearly better because yeah this indians team feels like has a lot of things going for it that they're better at than the red sox i will say that this indian squad feels more equipped to play in the postseason and I'll break down why for all you people who are telling me I'm crazy they have 
for one thing, obviously they have... I feel like you can't deny that they have an edge in the pitching department. And I'm talking about full-on, from top to bottom, from starters to bullpen. The Indians have a much better starting rotation with, by the way, much more playoff experience than the Red Sox do. Yeah, Chris Sale has played better than Bauer or Kluber all year. At least I'd say so. And seemingly, Bauer is starting to get some traction in the Cy Young race. But nevertheless, Sale, I think you can... I'm not going to argue with you if you want to tell me that Sale is a better pitcher than anybody on the Indian staff. Now, do these guys on the Indian staff have more playoff experience? Have they played better in the playoffs? Yes, but like I said, I'm still willing to give Chris Sale... As I've said many times, I'm willing to give Chris Sale a mulligan on last postseason. But nevertheless, still, those are guys who've done in the postseason, but fine. But then after that, yeah, I take this Indian staff in a heartbeat. Bauer, Kluber, Clevinger, Carrasco. Like, these are all good pitchers. Carrasco is the worst one out of... Guys with sub-3-4 ERAs. Four guys. And Bowers hurt right now, but... And we'll talk about starting pitchers being hurt, by the way. But... Yeah. They easily have a better starting rotation. I don't know how you can't think that they do. If you don't, I feel like you're, you're crazy. Unless you're really buying into this David Price hype train. And then really think that he's going to continue into the postseason, which... I think you're crazy if you believe that, too. By the way, but nevertheless, the don't kid yourself. The Red Sox, the Indians starting rotation is superior to the Red Sox. It is. It is. Sorry, it is. Also, Cleveland's bullpen, which was a problem for them early in the year. Also, the bullpen was why they were able to succeed in the playoffs the way that they did when they almost won the World Series. Didn't win the World They almost won the World Series. But still, Andrew Miller, for one thing. I know he's having kind of a down year, but still, that's a guy who's done it in the postseason. It's better than any reliever on the Red Sox. Pretty handily. Brad Hand. Climber. Like, they have legit relievers. They have a bullpen. And then, finally... Much as I love Alex Cora, as much as I'm sure as all Red Sox fans should love Alex Cora, they should. He's had a great first year. He's done everything you can ask out of a first year manager. There have been, you know, there's been a squicky decision here or there, but every manager does that, and that's gonna happen to a guy. It's gonna. Ha- you should like Alex Cora. If you are a Red Sox fan, you should. I, I can't say how you're not. I'd like to hear why you're not, if you're not. But still, yeah, I, I, you, you have to give the edge to Terry Francona as a manager currently. And maybe one day Alex Cora is better, but at the moment, yeah, like Terry Francona has two World Series here. Like, I don't feel like I need to go over the resume of Terry Francona. Like, I don't feel like I really need to dig in to validate this take. But yeah, as it stands, Terry Francona is a superior manager to Alex Cora. 
Now that we got that out of the way, you know, the Re- the Indians on the Red Sox do have pitching, starting, relieving, and depth on the Red Sox, and they have better management currently. They have a better manager. And those are the things that help you win in the postseason when game when you no longer can be down by five to the stupid Rays, turn it on in the fifth inning and just knock ten just knock off ten runs like that. When these games become close games, like they've been in this series, six three games, five four games, three two games. When the bats cool off in the postseason because, once again, better pitching, better management, just all around better competition so you can't just run up the score. Yeah. Being able to keep these games tight. That's what matters, and that's something that the Indians, this Indians roster, is built to do. And, yes, the Red Sox have hitting on this team. Yes, the Red Sox have a better lineup. Absolutely. But this Indians lineup also, they have guys having down years, but Jose Ramirez still has 37 home runs. It's only one home run shy of Chris Sale. Lindor is at least to some degree in the MVP race. They're still getting 25 home runs out of Edwin Encarnacion. Like, yeah, they don't have the depth in the lineup as... Of the Red Sox. I don't. The Red Sox are a better hitting team. They're the best hitting team in baseball right now. But that being said, the Indians are not are doing pretty good in that regard themselves. And you also saw it last night where Milky Cabrera made a bid for a great cycle. But yeah, like they have hitters. That team can score as well. Not at the same level as the Red Sox, but when you factor in their pitching, which in a playoff setting, in this series, negate some of that, negate some of that scoring ability, brings them back to earth a little bit. Yeah, you know what? Like, it's not a stretch to say that the Indians are a lot closer, or in pl- also when you factor in th- those the their core players having playoff experience, having experience succeeding in the postseason something that no player on this seemingly no player on this Red Sox roster has in any meaningful amount. Yeah, it's not unfair to say that the Indians are a real threat in the postseason to this Red Sox team. So, we'll see. I mean, tonight we have God, what do we have tonight? Tonight we have Carrasco going up against Brian Johnson. Which, I want, who am I taking in that one? You know, just going off the starting pitching, that's going to be tough for the Red Sox. And then, game four, you have Price going. So, you know, the Red Sox could be in a situation where they have David Price trying to stop a sweep. Which, uh, I know he's been pitching well lately, but, you know, that'll be another... And I gave him all the credit in the world for how he pitched against the Yankees, but yeah... David Price gets put in a situation where he has to stop a sweep. You know. Let's see. I'd, I want to, I'm going to see that before I start, you know, saying it's a good, before I lock it in. I want to, I want to see that. 
how David, and if he does, then all the credit in the world. And I'm still not going to buy into how hot he is right now until I see it in the playoffs, but still. You know, he'll have a little bit more of a reason to, you know, pump his chest out against Johnny Miller. Yeah. On the other hand, the Red Sox were in a similar situation against the Astros a few months ago, and they came back from down 0-2 in the series and tied it, which was good. I don't know how many of my concerns about this that would necessarily starve off, but still, that would be nice to see. But nevertheless, we haven't really seen this Red... There's some value in this. We haven't really seen this Red Sox team really deal with anything. They've been rolling most of the year. This is, once again, this is their first time they've lost three in a row since, like, April. So... Maybe seeing how they respond isn't to some adversity won't be the worst thing in the world. See how see how they deal. But and either way, like I'm not worried about the win totals. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about the win loss totals anyway. Because even if they get swept in this series, you know, they have what they have series against the Rays. The Marlins, the White Sox, the Braves. Like, they'll they'll get their wins back. They'll get those numbers. So, I'm not saying that they're at a risk to lose a division here. I don't think the division is as... Now, that being said, I'm not going to sit here and say the division's locked up either. Just when you look at the last month of the season, when, you know, their last few series, they're playing the Indians again, the Yankees. You know, they play the Yankees six times in September, like... There's that if the Yank if the Red Sox start to drop some games here and they hit some kind of a cold stretch, you know, the Yankees still at least have a chance to get back in on it. That being said, they went 12 games against the Marlins last. That being said, it took them 12 innings to beat the Marlins last night. So I mean, ah, maybe it's not a big deal. But, you know, in finality, this Indians team is legit. This Indians team is built to win in the postseason with their pitching, with their management. With enough, they have enough hitting. So, you know, let's see how the Red Sox deal with being down 0-2 in this series. And if they come back, good. I'm not going to call it a win for them. Like some people wanted to talk about, you know, tying the Astros after being down 0-2 with a win for the Red Sox. But, yeah, let's just see. There's just things to see here. And these, you know... This is so much more important seeing how they win these games than any stupid game, any stupid series against the Orioles or the Blue Jays. Like this, these games matter more than anything. I've said that all year. So let's see how they respond. Anywho, if you want to talk about that with me, do not be afraid to call in at 401 456 9946 or at 401 456 8787. You are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And when we come back, I'll talk about some some more pitching matters regarding the Red Sox. I want to dive into some more stuff before we eventually transition our way over to some Patriot stuff. And I'll see you after these messages. Plant a tree for your tomorrow. Do you know which tree Andy Jackson rested under on his way to the Battle of New Orleans? Which tree Abraham Lincoln used to cross a river? And what tree William Penn used as a landmark for his map? Taste the breeze, it's life inside you. Make a promise to the earth. There's an easy way to find out 
Go to the National Arbor Day Foundation's website, arborday.org, for whatever you need to know about trees. At arborday.org, you'll find out what trees are right for planting where you live and that the oak is the people's choice for America's national tree. It was a Sunnybrook oak which Andy Jackson rested under on his way to the Battle of New Orleans. You'll have to go to arborday.org for the other answers. Plant a tree today for all the world to share. That's arborday.org. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. I go to school with your children. We say the Pledge of Allegiance together. You've seen me around the neighborhood, and you've told me I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every four children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. This problem is closer than you think. My teacher tells me we could grow up and be whatever we want. I want to grow up and be someone who doesn't go to bed hungry. There's enough food in this country to feed everyone. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for kids like me, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Psst, hey, over here. What? Right here in the back. Where? Over by the fence. You? The bike? Yeah, the bike. Right in the grass where the kids left me a while ago. You know how lonely it is being left day after day, not being able to cruise the reservation? Pardon me? Remember when you got me for the kids? You told them, no, you kids go have fun, enjoy the outdoors, and be careful. Mm, yeah? I really miss it, especially when they put that playing card in my spokes, and I made a really cool sound the faster we went. Um... Well, could you get my tires a little air, dust off my seat, and remind the kids how fun I still am? Okay. <coughs> oh, you are dusty. Yeah, and I may need a couple of bolts tightened, too. Now let's go. As Native American parents and caregivers, our encouragement to healthy lifestyles for our kids is helping them get outside and play. Get ideas. Get involved. Get going at letsmove.gov slash Indian Country. Brought to you by USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. For the best local pizza, look no further than Big Tony's Pizzeria at 525 Eaton Street, Providence, featuring daily specials and free delivery until 4 a.m. Get a whole pie or just a slice at the home of the Gangsta Rap. So call in at 401-490-0000 for a slice of the local favorite, Big Tony's. Often imitated, never duplicated. Company Smoke Shop and Vapor Lounge is Providence's premier smoke shop and vape supply store. Located at 10 Cedar Swamp Road, Smithfield, Rhode Island. Swing by when they open on November 2nd. Glass Company Smoke Shop, best smoking supplies in all of our eye. It's not the size that matters, it's the pleasure it provides. WXIN FM. Habata itala, modola na ito ita, metashita noa, aoi, aoi, anos. 
90.7 WXIN Stadium Experience. Jake Elmsley here. Talking a lot of Red Sox Indians right there. We're going to continue on on that same general topic. And if you want to call in, weigh in on anything we've been talking about, do not be afraid to call in 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787. Call in, give me any thoughts you want, or go on Facebook. Go to the official Stadium Experience Facebook page and watch the Mike Kane Memorial live stream. Drop me a comment. Let me know what you think. Anyway, with all that, we're going to continue here about our little Red Sox discussion as I also need to experiment with uh, new rejoins. Having a lot of fun with that. Anyway, so I didn't really know where to get this topic in. I was making my rundown. I'm like, I don't really know where to put it in. I'm trying to shorten the segments here, not, you know, not format the show where it's just like 45 minute long segment, talk to Job for an hour. 30-minute-long closing segment. You know, I'm trying to format it like a real radio show a little more. I'm not quite there, but I'm getting there. And then, you know, maybe if anybody wants to advertise on the show, I can sell you some ads. But. I... This is kind of old, but I did want to take a chance to talk about Chris Sale's injury. And I I don't hate to be dumping on the Red Sox. I can't pretend I hate to be doing it. But, you know, I don't mean to be all negative, but I don't know. The positives with this team are so apparent, and they're so in your face, and they're so ready. And also the fans will remind you, and the team will remind you. But the, the positives with a lot of the positives with this team, I feel, go without saying. They have the most wins in baseball. They're hitting the ball out of the park constantly. J.D. Martinez has been a revelation, which, by the way, I did call... By the way, haven't taken much of a victory lap about that one, but I did say to sign J.D. Martinez. But Chris Sale being hurt, I feel like a lot of people just are ignoring it. And a lot of people have been trying to form this narrative around the Chris Sale injury. That it's fine that there's nothing going on, that it's some kind of, maybe that it's some kind of a ploy by the team to rest him. But now we're on DL stint number two for Chris Sale. And the first one, I, the first DL stint, I, it's fine. I was willing to believe maybe they're trying to rest him. I thought it was strange. I thought the timing was odd because they let him pitch in the all-star game and then what? They decide to rest him. So they put him on the DL, have him miss a start against the Yankees. Which, I mean, in the end, ended up not hurting them that he missed a start against the Yankees because they swept in that series anyway. But, so I'm like, ah, they're trying to rest him. This is weird. I'm glad he's getting the rest because God knows this guy needs it so he doesn't taper off down the stretch. But, ah, weird time to be doing that, but okay. And then he comes back against the Orioles, pitches five innings, only five innings, but it had, what, like, 12 strikeouts in a game. He was dynamite. He looked great. I'm like, okay, fine. He's fine. Okay, fine. Chris Sale's fine. They were resting him. Maybe something was bugging him, but he's fine. And now we're on DL stint number two. And the, the second DL stint within, you know, a couple of weeks is, is not, you can't come out on this one now and tell me, oh, no, he's fine. They're just resting him. No, no, no. It's fine. Nothing's going on. He's fine. And a lot of people have tried to go to that, and that's absurd to me. Because 
who does this? Who who would handle getting him rest this way? And if you're trying to get him DL'd it, and you really, really want to get him 20 days of rest, why start him against the Orioles? Which, to me, there's there's two things. Really, there's two main, you know, threads here. You know, two main possibilities. One, they thought he was fine. Whatever it is. It's shoulder soreness. It's been reported as left shoulder soreness. And I'm not saying he's dramatically injured. I'm not saying he's injured in a way that's going to completely alter the course of the season. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying he's he's dealing with something. Or he has been. I, I'm not buying into the idea that the Red Sox is just resting him for funsies. Sorry. But, you know, the two main things. One, not, once again, not, none of these are accounting for the severity of whatever it is. But A, he something was bugging him. They put him on the DL coming out of the All-Star break, which, by the way, I did not want him pitching in the All-Star game, but whatever. They went, okay, this isn't working. We're going to put you on the DL. And then he felt fine. They went, fine. We'll pitch you against the Orioles. And then... It, whatever it was, started bugging him again. Which I want to, which I hope that's the case. Well, no, I, I hope he's not hurt at all, but that's, I refuse to believe that that's the case. So reasonable, reasonably, that's what I hope is the case. Secondly, which some people have tried to sell this. This idea that this is some kind of, you know, creative DL usage by the Red Sox. And that, oh, no, no, they, they, they knew they brought him back for a rehab start. And then the goal always was to put him back on the DL. Which I've heard, I've seen some people say that. I've heard some people, and that is, that's an absurd idea to me. Because if they're doing that, that's stupid. Then you're just... Wasting... minor league options you're wasting time you're wasting resources you're also bringing this i mean you're having a pitch against the orioles so i'm not saying you're putting him in harm's way and having him pitch against a real team but still why if that's the case that's stupid then you pitch him against the paw socks oh well you have him starting like double a or triple a or something you're sending them to the soon-to-be Woo Sox, like any other time anybody's ever injured. So that's not the case. So yeah, he probably, I want to hope, or maybe the Red Sox, as they, eh, not great with injuries, are just tragically mishandling Chris Sale. But nevertheless, I, 
the, the, the prevailing theory in my mind is that they thought he was okay, brought him back, had him start against the Orioles, didn't work. Which probably means they tried to rush him back. Which, that I don't like. Because I don't need him against the Orioles. If they tried to rush him back against the Yankees, maybe then I get it. But if they're rushing him back against the Orioles, that's not great. So, and I, this is not a non-issue. Like, Red Sox fans want to look at this and just pretend it's nothing. And I don't know how you can do that. When you have this guy, who for one thing is obviously by and far your most important pitcher. Really the only guy who I'm looking at and saying, ah, he'll probably be good in the playoffs. With reservations once again, because he's also sucked in the playoffs. He's just sucked in the playoffs less times than the rest of their pitching staff. So, I, like I said, I'm giving Chris Sale a mulligan. Because I'm nice. I don't think I have to do that. But I'm, be, I'm being nice about it. I'm being polite in giving Chris Sale a mulligan. So... Anytime this guy misses, which is not for them winning, because they're going to win all the games they need to win. It's whatever. They're winning with or without him in the regular season, but. You have this guy. Who he's your ace. And he's a guy who. Every year. Down the stretch is why we've talked about rest being so important. Wears down. Every year. No fail. Almost every year of Chris Sale's career. Second half of the year, by the end of it, it was added about a run to his ERA. Or has about a run high, or his ERA is about a run higher. Like this, he does not pitch as well in the second half, which is why I've been a little bit applauding the Red Sox trying to lessen his workload. I think they could do more on to that front, or I think they could have been in the first half, but nevertheless, I've been trying. Because that's because you need this guy in the playoffs. You need him. So to see him on the DL, like, you have to be concerned. You have to be. Because maybe the first DL since arrest. But yeah, now obviously there's something bugging him in his throwing shoulder. And maybe he comes back. And he probably does come back. Because we'd hear about it if it was something... It's, this guy is so crucial. Because without him, they're not doing, sorry, they're not winning in the playoffs without Chris Sale. Sorry, they're not. They're not. Like, I'll put that on the table right now. Like, I don't like the Red Sox in the playoffs at all without Chris Sale. I can't. I just, I don't. I explain the importance of pitching. He's their most important pitcher. So you lose your most important pitcher. Sorry, that tilts the team, that tilts the scale a little bit to the Astros, to the Indians. They beat the Yankees without him, so fine. But still, like, I don't like the Red Sox in the playoffs overall without Chris Sale. 
which I think I, I would like to think everybody thinks, but I'm sure there are some Red Sox fans out there who disagree with me. But yeah, if he's hurt, and that's a serious thing, which it's serious enough that he's gone to DL twice now, and that he had to go right back on after a start against the Orioles. Yeah, it's it's a concern. That's just that's it. Like until he's healthy, until we know, and we'll never know because the Red Sox will never tell you what's going on with a guy. So it's not what they do. Yeah, it's concerning. Sorry, like. Chris Sale being on the DL twice is concerning. So, that's with that. Now, on that note, another Red Sox pitcher that is starting to kind of fall back to the pack would be Nathan Avaldi, who last night against the Indians pitched five innings, gave up four earned, ten hits. Eh, it wasn't a great performance, you know, against Philly – Earlier in the week, almost a week ago, you know, he gave up three. He gave up. Oh, excuse me. No, he, he did go against Phillies. He kind of blew up against Baltimore last start. So after his first two starts where he looked absurd, went seven, eight innings, gave up nothing. And the shine is, is coming off of Nathan Avaldi a little bit, which is, is not surprising. What was surprising was how good he was. Those first two starts, which was insane. which was insane how good he was. But yeah, now you're kind of seeing him pitch like the career 4-1-7 ERA pitcher he's been, which is fine. I mean, when he came, I said the number one thing I like about Evaldi is at least I haven't seen him throw up all over his shoes in the playoffs. At least I haven't seen him do it yet. So that was enough for me to like him. And also, you know, they need another right-handed starter, et cetera, et cetera. Another depth guy gives him more options. Maybe a guy can go to play. I like the player. But, yeah, he's he's, he's slowed down. He's came back to earth. No, saying slow down makes it sound like, you know, what he's doing isn't closer to his average than what he was. He's coming back down to earth. And I think maybe he's a little better than what he's done against the Indians. But still, like that's relatively what you're going to get out of Nathan Avaldi. And that's fine. Now... A pitcher, though, has kind of been on the up and something that I haven't seen talked about a lot or when it has have seen it talked about. I haven't. I've disagreed with the way it's been talked about. And here we go. Here's some of that. Uh, that Red Sox positivity. I promise. Some of that Red Sox positivity. I know it's rare here, but I give it. It exists. I have like Drew Pomerantz has looked good in this series. And. Really more the first game than the last game, but still. Drew Pomerantz has been moved to the bullpen. There was some, from a perspective, understandable resistance to when Drew Pomerantz came in. In game one, in the ninth inning, when the Red Sox were down 5-3. to three. There was some criticism of this move. But me? And he came in and he was fine and he pitched a shutout inning. They didn't score, no hits. Shut them out for an inning. And the Red Sox wanted to lose the game, but whatever. There was some resistance to, before even he did perform. There was some re resistance to the moving people, and I liked it. Because. The Red Sox need to see what they have with Drew Pomerantz, the reliever. 
they need to find out if that's something that can help. Because obviously the bullpen's a mess and they don't have any real players in there. And they need to find out if Drew Pomerantz, the reliever, can work. And that he can work in the playoffs. In a high leverage situation against good teams. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk that Drew Pomerantz is going to be that guy in the playoffs, but they need to try it. And in the end, you're not going to find out if he can perform in high leverage situations against good teams, throwing him out there against the Orioles, against the Rays, against the Blue Jays. You're not. You're only going to find out if he can perform in those situations against those teams in those situations against those teams. And obviously, it's not the playoffs, but this is as close as you're going to get. So I had no problem with them throwing him out against the Indians in the game. Yeah, it could have cost them the game. And it didn't end up costing them. It ended up losing the game. But yeah, he could have screwed up. He could have thrown up on himself, and it wouldn't work. And the Red Sox lost because of that. But given the situation where the Red Sox are currently eight games up on the Yankees, but they were like nine and a half at the time. With the lead they have, like, yeah, I don't mind. I don't, to me, learning what you have in some of these relievers, learning what you have in a guy you don't know who he is as a reliever, like Drew Pomerantz, who could maybe help you in the playoffs. Finding out what that guy can do as a reliever against the kind of teams you'll be playing in the playoffs, that to me feels more valuable than getting the win against the Indians. Maybe, oh, you got to try to win every game. But in the end, they lost the game. But even if they had lost because of Pomeranz, you can make up that win a thousand times over against, like I said, the next couple of series against the likes of the garbage of the AL. Like You can make up the win, but in those games, you can't really learn what you have in Drew Pomeranz, a reliever. So I was fine with the decision and I feel validated because I'm not saying I'm because I'm not saying I'm sitting here and I hyper believe in Drew Pomeranz as a believer. That's not what I'm saying. As a reliever, I'm not saying I believe he's going to be a, he can be a great guy in the bullpen, but they have to try. They have to see what they have in him. So, and they have to see what they have in him against the real teams. So I like the move, and it worked. By the way, so one thing I'm not saying you're telling you that you know Drew Pomeranz is now your closer B or your eighth inning guy, but at least they tried. And then he came in again, gave up one hit. It was ninth. The game was kind of out of hand by them. But still, like, he's... Drew Pomerantz has looked okay. So, I don't know. I think maybe, maybe, maybe that could be something they, need, they can keep trying. And I'm glad that they did. Because if they had brought him in for the first real... His first real work against the Orioles or the Blue Jays, and he had done good, and people were saying, Oh, well, Drew Pomerantz, look at him. He could be a reliever. i tell you to shove it. i tell you whatever. See him against a good team. But no, they played him against a good team. So, I liked that decision. I like that they decided to give him a chance against this team just to see what they have because they need to at some point. So, good. Go to Alex Cora. Good moves. Because that bullpen is a mess. And you will not hear it from the manager. At all. Post-game last night, Cora said, and this is what Cora said, Last night in the postgame. When just asked about the bullpen and all that, he said, no, I mean, the last few, when they asked him about, you know, do you want bullpen help with the waiver trade deadline coming up? 
you know. They asked me, said, no, I mean, the last few games we haven't had the lead. So you haven't been able to use Ryan Brazier or Matt Barnes in situations like that. And it kind of goes on a little bit, but that, oh, 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 I hated that. Because that means that the Red Sox, or at least Alex Cora, and probably Dave Dombrowski, because he didn't add anybody. Yeah, they're, they're sitting there going, no, 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 no. We, we weren't able to bring out our big guns, Ryan Brazier and Matt Barnes. We couldn't bring out the real reliefers. Which that is, that should concern you. If it doesn't, you're crazy. If it doesn't, you're insane. But yeah, so, yeah, the Red Sox... See, Brazier and Matt Barnes as their real relievers. And they're probably not adding anybody to the waiver deadline. I just don't feel like they are. I haven't heard them link to anybody. I don't think they're going to. If they do, fine. But yeah, they haven't added anything to this bullpen. And, you know, I don't want to sit here and harp on the Red Sox bullpen for 20 minutes because everything that's been said about that has been said. But yeah, their bullpen sucks. It does. It's terrible. It's terrible. So, yeah, experiment with Drew Pomerantz. See if he's a guy. See if maybe that can work. Because they need they need something. Because I don't know. I'm not sitting here being confident that Ryan Brazier, who's playing in the big leagues for basically the first time at the age of 30 right now, is gonna hold out. Sorry, I don't I don't buy into the story until I see it. So we'll see. Anyway, we're gonna take another quick break here. When we come back, we're gonna be diving in to some Patriots thoughts. Preseason week three coming up. Some other Patriots thoughts I want to expound upon from a couple of weeks ago, so. We'll get to that in just a bit. You are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And we'll be right back in just a minute. You're not dying. You just can't think of anything good to do. Can't think of anything better to do? Come be an alt DJ at 90.7 WXIN. Check out our meetings at 1 o'clock every Wednesday in Horace Man 186 or email us at alternative at rickradio.org. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, it would start pretty normal, like this. But, but then, then right, right around here, her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. And about this far in, Nikki would drop out of high school and run away. Here, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself and her daughter. She'd feel stuck, stuck, stuck. But then she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my prep classes. Study every night. And feel unstuck. Because she finally hears someone say, Nikki Baker, come up and get your GED diploma. If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, the ending wouldn't be the ending at all. It would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. 
So, Kristen, how was Esther's baby shower? Oh, great. Yeah. Everyone was there. Um, Allison, Katie, Nancy, Karen, oh. who has gained a little weight, by the way. Stop it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> oh, it's too bad you couldn't make it. How's little Sammy? Oh, he's fine. It was oh. just a little fever, but he's feeling better now. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, you know it's a girl, right? Oh, wow. What's her name? Um, oh, I can't remember. It's one of those names. Excuse me? Oh, you know, one of those names. Shakita, Juanita, Jaquita. Why do black people like those kinds of names anyway? You'd think they'd know better. They just make it harder on themselves, you know what I mean? No, Kristen. I don't know what you mean. The first step in fighting racial prejudice is taking a stand. Imagine the power of one voice. Find your voice at freedomcenter.org. A message from the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center and the Ad Council. Right now, nearly 30% of U.S. students aren't finishing high school. In many places, it's even higher than that. And fixing it is a responsibility that we all share. This is President Obama, and I urge everyone to take responsibility for encouraging the high school students in your communities, to support them, challenge them, and do whatever it takes to help them make it through. Do your part by going to boostup.org and giving a student the boost that's needed to make it to graduation. A message from the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. This holiday season, our friends at Bronzio's Pizza and Subs would like to remind our listeners to not text while driving. The National Safety Council reported last year alone there were over 1.6 million traffic accidents caused by texting while driving. Doesn't matter how old you are or how much driving experience you have, it's never safe. Bronzio's Pizzas and Subs reminds you stay alive, don't text and drive, for your safety and the rest of ours. This important reminder was from Bronzio's Pizza and Subs, located at 35 Smithfield Road in North Providence. For more information or to order, you can visit them online at bronziopizzaprovidence.com. Wishing everyone a safe and happy holiday season. They're on the air because they care. Some statistics are surprising. Some are unbelievable. And some are simply unacceptable. Right now, nearly 30% of U.S. students aren't finishing high school. Nearly 30%. And that's the average. In many places, it's even higher than that. And fixing it is a responsibility that we all share. This is President Obama, and I urge everyone, not just parents, but friends and neighbors and family members, to take responsibility for encouraging the high school students in your communities, to support them, challenge them, push them a little, and do whatever it takes to help them make it through. Because this is one statistic we simply can't afford to ignore. You can do your part by going to boostup.org and sending an email, a text message, or even a wake-up call to a student at risk of dropping out. Go to boostup.org and provide the boost that's needed to make it to graduation. A message from the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is 90.7 WXIN. Point seven WXIN Stadium Experience. Jake Elmbleer. We've been talking basically all Red Sox up to this point. 
the Indian series, some stuff about whatever's going on in the bullpen there. And if you want to weigh in on any of these topics or anything we're going to be getting to or anything you want me to be getting to, do not be afraid to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787 or go to Facebook. Go to the official Stadium Experience, a Facebook page, and catch the Mike Kane Memorial live stream there live as I do the show. Drop me a comment. Tell me what you want me to say, anything you want to tell me. And we'll see what happens there. Anywho, though, with all that, we're going to continue the program here with some talk about the Patriots. And this was another thing I wasn't able to get to last week, which, man, you know, maybe it was more last week than I was giving it credit for. But the Isaiah Wynn, obviously, the Patriots, one of the Patriots' two first-round draft picks, the one who was healthy, now is not the healthy one is now out for the year, after preseason week two, with a torn Achilles. And that's not good, for one thing. I mean, Wynn hasn't really been starting throughout camp as the left tackle, which is the good news here. He maybe maybe was drafted to replace Nate Solder, but it's still kind of unclear. The Patriots might have just drafted him to be a guard, which eh, we talked about my feelings on that. But Trent Brown's been the guy most to camp. So the Patriots aren't losing their starting left tackle. Now, he was playing at right tackle in this game, which was interesting because Marcus Cannon has not practiced much at all. I think he's missed 12 straight days now. So Marcus Cannon coming back, not quite in the horizon, which isn't good. Because especially with Wynn out now, the Patriots are very thin at that spot. Right now, Waddle is basically the only other healthy tackle on the roster. And Waddle played pretty well in the playoffs, so I'm not going to sit here and knock Lee Adrian Waddle like I did a lot of last year. But still, it would have been nice to see Wynn, their first-round pick, get some experience. But now he's out for the year. And he's out for the year with a torn Achilles which is not a great injury for a 22-year-old to get because that that is a setback of an injury. You have a hard time being the same after an injury like that. So they might not be getting the player they thought they drafted, which isn't great and is kind of a trend for the Patriots all of a sudden in the last couple of years. Last year, Derek Rivers, who was their top draft pick, was in the third round, still was out. Dominic Easley got hurt all the time. Cyrus Jones, last year, torn ACL, didn't play. Don't think they were much worse for it. He kind of sucks. But still, he was their top draft pick from his year. The Patriots have had, and this is something I touched on at the end of the show last week, is that Patriots draft picks have been getting hurt. And on top of that, the Patriots have not done a great job drafting the last couple of years. They haven't. I'm sorry. Bill Belichick was a lauded drafter. Has not has not done well the last couple of years. And I did, and this was the exercise we did to kind of prove it. Going back 2015, since 2015, which so the last three draft, well, last four drafts, but not counting this draft because you don't know who the guys are yet. It's really the last three drafts for this most recent one. And you know, it might seem kind of arbitrary because. Well, why are you counting these? But I'm cutting it off because he's the last because he's because this is the last draft class that's still on their rookie contracts. So it was four years ago. But still, go back and try to list the top five players 
from the la- from the Patriots drafts in that time span. And it goes something like Trey Flowers, definitely the best player they've drafted since then. Decent player. Then probably Shaq Mason. Then Joe Tooney. And then after that, it gets bad. Like, it gets ugly. Like, Malcolm Brown, probably, who's been, what, an average rotational D-tackle? He's probably in your top five players you've drafted the last couple of years. You know, after that, maybe a Landon Roberts, who sucks, but he's played a lot. So, fine. Like, sorry, there was a time when the Patriots would hit on these picks. All the time on these late-round picks, Belichick would hit on them, bring guys who become real contributors, real players. They haven't been doing that the last few years. They haven't. It's ob- Objectively, they have not. Even if you want to go back to 2014, Dominic Easley, Garoppolo, who didn't play for them, so I'm not counting him. Malcolm Butler was an undrafted free agent. But outside of him, yeah, not a lot of star power. No Pro Bowls. Oh, wait, I think Shaq Mason actually made a Pro Bowl. But still, not a lot of high-impact guys. And you're seeing that. In the, as I've said a lot, the roster has atrophied. The roster has gotten older and slower, and they don't have a lot of young impact players compared to what they had in years past. And, you know, what am I... Nothing better to blame that on than the fact that they have not been bringing in a lot of impact players to the draft. There have been a lot of busts the last few years for the Patriots. High-profile busts. You know, Cyrus Jones, second-rounder, sucks. Dominic Easley, first-rounder, sucks. Malcolm Brown, eh. Jordan Richards, sucks. Second round guys. First round guys. They're not getting good players in those spots. Not even great players. Not getting good players. They're getting, at best, average players. You know, they've gotten their guards in one pass rusher. And then roster fillers. And you look at how this is hurting the team. Right now, we're talking about the tackle issue. They don't have any tackles. On the roster. You know who they drafted in the third round last year? How about Antonio Garcia? They brought him in last year. Once again, the third round. That's a pick you should be hitting on. And then what did they get out of the third round that year? Derek Rivers, who was hurt all last year. And he's looking pretty good now. So he might actually be a piece. You know, God knows it won't be hard to enter the top five if he wants to. I'll give anybody who plays credit over Landon Roberts. Who sucks, but he plays. Yeah, then after that, draft Antonio Garcia, who then, blood clots, couldn't play, lost 40 pounds because he was sick, and I hope he's better, but he was sick and blood clotty, didn't play, now he's out. That was a guy that they would sure love to have right now. I'd sure love, I liked the pick when they made it because I thought he was a guy that they could coach up. And yeah, now they don't. Now they don't have that third round rook, that third round player with a year of being coached up under his belt now. They don't. They wasted that pick. That could help the roster right now. And like I said, if they had hit on picks like that, if they had hit on picks like Cyrus Jones, secondary looks better. Like, it just, they're not, it, and I'm I'm not breaking the mold here by saying, hey, if you hit on your picks, then your team is better. But they haven't been hitting on picks. And you look at these spots with high draft picks, very specific spots, you can look at them and go, well, if they hit on a pick, well, they picked a player at that spot, and the guy wasn't just so bad that he's worthless, or he was, or they missed something so glaring on the medicals that the guy just was unplayable then they'd be better at that spot or these spots. And they're not. They haven't insulated themselves. They don't have young players on their roster that are worth it, that are worth anything. 
And it just, this issue keeps creeping up and it's going to keep creeping up because that's how you wind up with no depth. That's how you wind up not insulated against injuries. When you don't have these young players ready to step up that they've had in the years past. So yeah, I, sorry, their drafting has not been good and it keeps rearing its ugly head. The lack of good drafting by the Patriots, by specifically Bill Belichick. So, sorry. I don't know what to tell you. The drafting has not been good from this team lately. And yeah, up and down. You know what, two, three years ago, they threw away a pick on Jacoby Brissett. Who I thought I liked at the time. I liked them bringing in QBs, but yeah. Hey, look at them. They've wasted mid-round. They've missed high picks. Second, third round picks on QBs the last couple of years. That they then traded away for not much. Brissett, they traded away for, Dor for Dorsett. Who is, is nothing. Who's yeah, Maybe the third, fourth wide receiver. Yay. Had almost 200 yards last year. Yay. Way Garoppolo for a second round pick that they then traded for spare parts. And, you know, maybe... They get something out of those pieces. But yeah, you look at this draft class coming up now. Last year's class. Michelle isn't going to play as the start of the regular season. And really, like I've said, he's a running back. So unless he has, you know, some astronomical impact. Like in Ezekiel Elliott-esque. Well, not quite that because he was a lower first. But still, you know, the, the rotational committee running back he's going to be is not worth the first round pick. Sorry, my thoughts on that are very well known. So even if he does have, you know, good 40 receptions, you know, a couple hundred yards on each. Eh, sorry, not going to be worth it. But still, he might contribute. They're not getting that contribution from Isaiah Wynn now. You know, Duke Dawson, who knows? Jawan Bentley has looked good. I mean, he's looked great. He's looked like the kind of pick Belichick used to make all the time in the past. Not making them now. So Bentley, hopefully is something. Berrios still hasn't impressed me. I want him to make the team, but I want to see something other than that. Like, is Curtis Samuel, like, it, it doesn't look like they're going to get a lot out of this draft class either, which is a problem when you look at the picks they had. Going into the last draft, they had two firsts, two seconds. And now it's looking like they have maybe one guy out of those four picks who's going to contribute between Duke Dawson and Sonny Michelle. Not great. Kind of mishandled that. Didn't love the draft at the time. Like it even less now. And sorry, and I know maybe I'm blaming Isaiah Wynn for getting hurt, but still, sorry, their top picks keep getting hurt. At some point, I can't just go, ah, oh, dumb luck. I don't know. Sorry, once something happens three, four times, I stop just looking at his dumb luck. Maybe that's unfair. That probably is unfair. But just overall, their drafting history, not been great. So you stop getting benefits of the doubt. Sorry, and if anybody's earned it, it's Bill Belichick, by the way. But still, I'm just looking at what's at what's in front of me. And I don't know. And you speak on Brissett. It came out a couple days ago from Ben Volan that apparently, and I'll believe it for the sake of believing it, that the Seahawks offered a second round pick for Brissett. And that the Colts turned it down, which is also all kinds of stupid. All, all kinds of stupid to do that, which is, that's what's making me almost not believe the report. But 
it's fine. I guess I'll believe it. I'll believe for the sake of conversation. If you don't want to believe it, it's a pretty stupid thing to do to turn that down. Also, a pretty stupid thing to offer that for Brissett, especially when you're the Seahawks and you have Russell Wilson. But they also drafted a running back in the first round, which we all know how I feel about that. So fine. It's tough because I, I don't want to get too mad about that because in defense, I was saying that I didn't really even, re even want Brissett to really make the team last year. And at the time, I kind of praised the Dorsett move because I'm like, oh, good. You got something out of a guy I thought wasn't going to make the team. And then he had that good fourth preseason game. He looked great. So I went, okay, flip him. And then they flip him for something. Except I get to look back at hindsight. I get to have hindsight. And yeah, Dorsett hasn't been much. And Brissett really wasn't that good with the Colts. But seemingly he has value to somebody. So maybe they did mishandle that asset. And either way, I wouldn't have traded a third round pick a couple years ago for Philip Dorsett. So if I had known that Brissett was only going to be around for a year when they made the pick, I would have gone, no, don't do that. Pick an actual player. Or Garoppolo picked gone. And it's just they with them missing on more picks than ever, they can't be affording to throw away picks on QBs that they take keep for a year, two years, and get very little out of in return. So, even then, they spent these picks on the QBs. They, they wasted these picks on QBs, got, didn't get a lot back for them, and now they're just back to having Brian Hoyer being the backup anyway. And Tom Brady's still the starter. So, I, I, I don't know. I say always draft QBs so you always have a young guy in the pipeline, but they've, they've, they've mishandled the backup QB situation because now they wasted the picks, they have no young QBs in the pipeline, and they got very little back for them. And they seemingly didn't get much of any use back for these players, so... Uh, they screwed it up from every angle, apparently, seemingly, and now other teams are getting offered more for Jacoby Brissett. Spectacular. Spectacular handling of that by the Patriots. And it just keeps getting... I, the more I think about it. Okay, well, yeah, I didn't want Brissett to make the teams. I didn't want them to carry three QBs. But apparently they were going to get rid of Garoppolo. It just... It, now I'm now I'm going on this. Now, like, this gets stupider the more I talk about it. Because, yeah, fine. I didn't want them to keep Brissett at the time because I went, well, they're going to keep Garoppolo. I only want two QBs on this team. I'd rather that roster spot go to Deion Lewis or somebody else like that. So then they trade Brissett. I'm like, fine, Garoppolo for the year. Except then at midseason, they trade Garoppolo. So, yeah, then you get to the point of, okay, well, wish they had traded Garoppolo in the offseason, last offseason, when they, A, could have gotten more, then kept Brissett, who is still under contract, two more years, and is apparently worth more than they got him. Yeah, him playing obviously inflated his value. Obviously, they weren't going to get a second-round pick for Brissett if he didn't start a full year. But still, like, you, this makes sense. They've mishandled this so badly. They got a lower return on two assets and have nothing at that position now behind Tom Brady. They got minimal returns and now they're just back to backing up Brady with Hoyer. Like, it, none of it makes sense. It's all been so, and I don't want to relitigate the Garoppolo trade. But yeah, like, 
They're doing this crap. They're playing all these weird games with QBs, getting nothing back, and then also missing on most of their draft picks, and now they have nothing. And now Isaiah wins hurt, and they have a running back. Yay. Like, it's stupid. So you end up with a Landon Roberts being one of the best players you've drafted in the last five, three, four years. So dumb. Like, have fun with Joe Tooney. <sighs> Got my mojo on that one. Okay. Not good stuff here, people. Not, not good stuff going on with the drafts and the Patriots. And then you look at it, and just for one more thing that got pointed out to me the other day, you know who's been looking great lately? Calvin Ridley. You know who got drafted? Three picks after Isaiah Wynn, who's out, and is apparently a guard, and isn't even gonna, wasn't even going to start this year. Calvin Ridley. Sure would love to have him around, but that's a little minor gripe. But yeah, looking at it, didn't love the pick at the time. Now that I'm looking at it, wish I had Calvin Ridley. Might help that wide receiver group. Anyway, we're going to take another break. We'll be back in a minute. Stadium experience with Jake Elmsley. Plant a tree for your tomorrow. Do you know which tree Andy Jackson rests? Which tree Abraham Lincoln used to cross a river? And what tree William Penn used as a landmark for his map? Taste the breeze, it's life inside you. Make a promise to the earth. There's an easy way to find out. Go to the National Arbor Day Foundation's website, arborday.org, for whatever you need to know about trees. At arborday.org, you'll find out what trees are right for planting where you live, and that the oak is the people's choice for America's national tree. It was a Sunnybrook oak, which Andy Jackson rested under on his way to the Battle of New Orleans. You'll have to go to arborday.org for the other answers. Plant a tree today for all the world to share. That's arborday.org. Happy holidays, everybody. This is Brad Paisley for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. When you're traveling during the holidays and see somebody who's had too much to drink about to get behind the wheel, well, get those keys and save a life. When you celebrate, designate. Choose a designated driver. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Gavin DeGraw for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. In less time than it takes to play your favorite tune, someone will be killed or injured in an alcohol-related crash. If you party, plan ahead. Designate before you celebrate. Sad stories make great songs, but happy endings make better lives. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Okay, fellas, thanks for checking out our membership meeting for the unstoppable IOTA Gamma Kappa fraternity. Candidates will be notified around mid-semester. Peace, peace. Have a good day. Yo, can you believe that white boy showed up? Who, Justin? Yeah. 
I mean, he seems pretty cool. He's doing a lot of work in the community. He gets decent grades. Oh, yeah, I played ball with him the other day. Oh, boy, got a mean crossover. Now, see, that's what I'm talking about. White people think that just because they could rap or hoop or something, they could be one of us. Now, what would happen if one of us went across campus and tried to join one of their fraternities? <laughs> Tell you what, it'll be a cold day and you know where before I let a white boy into this frat. You feel me? Nah, Trey. I don't feel you. The first step in fighting racial prejudice is taking a stand. Imagine the power of one voice. Find your voice at freedomcenter.org. A message from the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center and the Ad Council. So you're having a party and you need music. Well, that old mixed CD in your parents' stereo just isn't going to cut it. What you need is some good old kick-ass music. WXIN has thousands of songs, a professional staff, and enough wattage that your neighbors will have to call the National Guard to shut us down. Call for more information, 401-456-8288. That's 401-456-8288. Or you can email us at sales at rickradio.org. The WXIN DJ service. Have tunes, well travel. Mr. Verbal Herman Monster, the word enhancer, sing a phony mobsters, controlling the dance floor. I'm in them dark places, catch you when you start. Or that Rick, can't think of anything better to do? Join 90.7 WXIN. Get your own radio show and force people to listen to your music. Help promote events and shows, or be a voice in a promotion online. All tastes and music are welcome at our meeting every Wednesday at 1 o'clock at Horseman 186. Or check us out at rickradio.org. Come play your music at your station. Company Smoke Shop and Vapor Lounge is Providence's premier smoke shop and vape supply store. Located at 10 Cedar Swamp Road, Smithfield, Rhode Island. Swing by when they open on November 2nd. Glass Company Smoke Shop, best smoking supplies in all of our eye. Playing more of what you listen for. Rhode Island College Radio. 90.7 WXIN. Point seven WXIN Stadium Experience. Jake Helmsley here. Talking Patriots, talking Red Sox early in the program. If you want to call in about any of these topics, do not be afraid to dial me up at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787. And let me know what you think. Or, or... Or, Jesus Christ, what was that? Or go on Facebook, go to the official Stadium Experience Facebook page and watch the Mike Kane Memorial live stream where we stream the show every week. And look at me while you watch the show. Anywho, with all that, we'll continue on here with some more 
not Patriots. We're going to take a little break from Patriots because I, like, talked myself into a tizzy about how badly they handled the Jacoby Brissett, Jimmy Garoppolo dynamic. Which, yeah, the more I talk about it, they absolutely bungled. Like, the, the more I talk about it, the fact that they... Shh. Not to harp on this too much, but yeah, God, they mishandled that. Like, the more I look at it, trading Brissett because you want to hold on to Garoppolo, but then trading Garoppolo midseason, getting less than you would have gotten had you trade him at the beginning of the year because I don't know why, because they thought they were going to keep him or Belichick thought he was going to talk them into keeping on Brady. Obviously, somebody there, be it Kraft, be it Whoever was negotiating with Garoppolo, be it Belichick, had it wrong. We've talked. I, I don't. I am relitigating the Garoppolo trade. I do want to relitigate the Garoppolo trade right now. I do. We're doing that for a minute. Then we'll complain about the helmet rule. They trade him for less than they could have gotten. Now leaving them with neither of the two young QBs they had at the start of the season. Because I don't know either Belichick. Thought he could resign Garoppolo, which he was wrong about. Or he thought Brady was going to fall apart, which he was wrong about. Or, I don't know. Obviously, somebody thought something about that situation was wrong. Because they obviously they were never just going to let Garoppolo walk. That was never the plan. But whatever plan they had, they had wrong. So they mismanaged the asset. So they have to flip him at midseason. Be it Kraft probably strong-arming Belichick in the doing of midseason. But they had to do it. And get less than it would have gotten at the beginning of the year. And then as collateral for the mismanagement of that asset... They got rid of Garoppolo. I mean, they got rid of Brissett, who now they could have kept instead of trading him for Philip Dorsett, who turns out is, is nothing. Has always been nothing and probably always will be nothing. So now they have no young QB. Instead, they have Brian Hoyer as a backup again, which is just beautiful. And they wasted a second and a third round pick in consecutive years. And have nothing, and have next to nothing to show for it. They have Philip Dorsett and a bunch of crap that they traded, a bunch of like crap picks that they traded down with. Yay. Yay, 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 yay. And I'm not saying I'm a big Brissett guy. I've never been a big Brissett guy, but yeah, I'd rather have him than Brian Hoyer. I'd rather have a young, I'd at least rather would have the illusion that they're developing a young quarterback who's not Danny freaking Etling, who's probably not making the team. At least I hope Danny Etling doesn't make the team now. Because I don't want them carrying three QBs. And the other two being Brian Hoyer and Danny Etling. So. Yay. They have nothing and nobody. Except for Brady. Who's 41. <laughs> Yay. They're doing great. So, yeah, so the more I talked about that, the more I realized how, how poorly handled that entire situation was. Even more so than I originally thought. Now the Colts are getting offered second-round picks for Brissett, so that's fun. And they're not trading him for him for some reason, because either they're lying, either Ben Bolin's lying, or the Colts are stupid, which, you know what? Honestly, I'm going to buy the Colts are stupid over my man Ben Bolin. Lying. So... So, 
that's not ideal. Also, we're getting copyright claims in Belgium right now on the live stream, which is exciting. So I'm just uh, dealing with that for a hot second. But yeah, no, the Patriots so, so righteously mishandled the entire Garoppolo, entire Brissett situation, even more than I ever thought until I started talking about Brissett. So good job. Now they have Danny Etling. Maybe Danny Etling's the next guy. I don't think he is. Danny Etling was a joke. But yeah, you know, maybe like Paxton Lynch gets cut or something and they pick him up. Who knows? So fun stuff. Anyway, now that I've submitted to my baser instincts, let's continue with what I did want to talk about, which has been the new rules in the NFL. You know, the one that's been talked about a lot has been this new helmet rule which has been getting called at nauseum in the preseason. You know, the new rule that you can't make contact with them, which I liked the idea behind the rule. Because last year you did have guys, specifically the one that's talking about the most to me, you know, being the Danny Trevathan, Devontae Adams hit, where he just ran right into the dude's head. Like, those kind of hits. The idea behind the rule being the South was kind of hits, which are not cool, which shouldn't, shouldn't happen. It should. I know it's football, but, you know, that's, that's, that's not. Like, that, that, I don't see any, you know, Great, virtuous, anything romantic about ramming into these guys' heads when they're defenseless. Sorry, you're just giving everybody concussions, giving everybody CT. Sorry, don't do that. That shouldn't be happening. And I talked a lot about that because that hit made me very upset. Like, that specifically was an extreme example because that was just Danny Trayton trying to kill a man. But still, the idea of getting rid of these kind of these helmet-to-helmet tackles, guys just throwing themselves into each other just to hit people with their head. Yeah, that should stop happening. They should try to eliminate that. And they are trying to eliminate it. Just sadly, because it's the NFL, they're doing it in the worst way possible. They're bungling the entire thing up. And... Yeah, well, you're seeing these calls go off like crazy. Would And some of the... And I want... And Deadspin, graciously, posted an article with a gif of every time this has been called, every time this penalty has been called in the preseason, which has been uh, like 50-something times through two weeks of the preseason, which is absurd. Absurd amount of flags. And in defense, you know, the, this this volume of flags is probably not going to happen in the regular season. But, yeah, I mean, the refs have to learn these rules too. It's a judgment call, which isn't good. You should not have this many, you should not add judgment calls to a game this fast, but still. You know, there have been some. No, there are some hits that I watch happen. I'm like, okay, good, good. Yeah, that that should be a penalty. Yeah, he he didn't tackle that guy. He just kind of ran upright and hit him with his head, in his head. That's not really a tackle. That should be a penalty. That should be allowed. Good. And obviously, you know, some of them, it's like, you know, a guy will go in, you know, at the last second, the runner will kind of get a little lower and then... Would have been a hit to the shoulders and a hit to, like, the bottom of the helmet. That's a flag. Those calls aren't great. And this rule really seemingly requires guys to tackle perfectly every single time, every single play, which, to a degree, is good. Because, like I said, you shouldn't, you know, guys in the NF guys in all levels of football, they've been allowed for a long time to just kind of run upright and hit guys with their heads in their heads. And that's kind of been allowed. And that's been good because at least you're bringing the guy down and guys have been taught that way. And that's not great. 
But also, you can't come in after one summer and go, all right, football players who have been playing for their entire lives, start doing it differently. At the highest level, guys are moving as quickly as possible. And yeah, you have less time to execute a perfect form tackle. A perfect, nice wrap-up tackle. You have less time for that. So it's tough because I don't want to just because I don't want to harp and scream on the rule like a lot of people have because it's been handled badly. They've been calling it poorly and eh, they rushed because they're the NFL and they just want to make things happen quickly to look good. And they haven't learned that that doesn't work and that people see through their crap. But. Yeah, this isn't good. They had some kind of a conference call today. Nothing's came out about what happened there, at least from what I've seen. But. I don't know what the solution is. I don't want to say just roll back the rule entirely. But yeah, trying to implement the rule now was a terrible idea. My God, like if, I, if it was me, like once again, benefit of hindsight, but I get to have the benefit of hindsight because my decisions don't really impact anything. But yeah, I mean, start trying it because you talk to the officials. They're getting film on it now because the officials don't know how to call this rule because it's new and they don't know it. So... I mean, you, you start, you enforce the rule this preseason, you give guys an idea of what's coming, then you give them a year to get ready for it, and then you actually enact the rule next season. That way, the refs can learn how to call it, the players have a better idea, coaches know what they have to teach these players, and good, and guys can get used to it. More, not, not so much guys know what to teach their players, because they know what to teach their players. Like, you've seen, you know, Probably the annoying thing is you've been having players and coaches come out and say stuff like, well, I don't know what we're supposed to do. How Nobody knows. Like, no, it's it's obvious what they want you to do. Like, it, I don't know. To me, at least, it's pretty clear what they want you to do, which is never involve your head in the tackle, in tackle like a very specific way. I think that's obvious. The hard part is that's really hard to suddenly start doing after years of not doing it that way every single time. So that's it. But don't try to sell me that you don't understand. You know, you have people whose job is to think about football all day, every day. Like that. I don't buy that these guys don't understand what they're supposed to be doing. It's just very hard to execute on the fly like this. So. That is going to be an issue all year. Because I, I don't imagine they roll back the rule. I would like them to, but I don't think they're going to. I think that would be good. I don't think they will. So we're stuck with this, and it's not going to be great. Because the, the refs don't really know how to call it. Not to their own fault, by the way. Because they're getting put in this position where they have to be able to, like, turn on their supervision and tell what these guys are doing in a split second. Because obviously the NFL is going to be on them to make sure that their new rules are being enforced. So... I don't know, or the NFL tells them, like, hey, we screwed this up. Don't enforce that rule too much, which I don't like that either. I don't like the NFL basically saying, ah, oh, we're kind of, we're going to intentionally be inconsistent about our own new rules. That's even worse. So yeah, you're going to have games coming down now to this new helmet rule, which has been executed very poorly and has not been given. Because I think like, something similar to this can work and make the game safer if you give these players time to adapt to it 
not just a couple of weeks. So eh, we'll see where that goes. That's eh, not looking too pretty. Now, that being said, something that I do want to talk, something that has not been getting a lot of talk about because it really hasn't been relevant. It really hasn't been an issue up to this point, but something I didn't like at the time and something I still don't like is the new catch rule. I don't get it. I don't understand why there had to be a new catch rule. And I have explained this at length, but I am in the, apparently the minority of people that did not have any problem understanding what the old catch rule was. I really didn't get why people for years could not understand the old catch rule, which seemed very simple to me. It was you had to catch it. You had to get your feet down. You had to be able to survive the ground, i.e. not drop the ball the second you meet any force or any foreign body. And yeah, I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand why that rule was so confusing to so many people. Why, you know, oh, nobody knows what a catch even is these days. SMH. I don't Nobody knows what a catch. I never got it. I never, I never felt like I'd saw something that was deemed to catch or wasn't deemed deemed to catch. And I, I never was confused. Like it, that, I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just a savant about the catch rule, but the old catch rule made perfect sense to me. And I don't didn't see why it needed changing. I liked it. I thought it made making a catch just hard enough. That guys weren't, you know, able to just just touch the ball in midair and have it considered a catch. Really, I never got it. It made perfect sense to me. The old rule. But now they've changed it, and now they've made it easier. Now you basically have to just catch it, and if you hit the ground, you lose the ball. Ah, who cares? That's not... You don't need to actually hold on to the ball all the way to the ground. That's not catching. So that coupled with this new rule, which basically makes guys unable to tackle, really, because they don't know how, because they haven't practiced tackling this way enough. And the fact that this call has, in the preseason, it's been like 43 of these penalty of these 50-something penalties have been on the defense. So this is impacting defenses far more than offenses. With that and the new catch rule, it's not going to be a great year to be a defender in the NFL. Like, it's, I'm feeling like we're going to be seeing really, like, record-type offenses this coming year. And that, the NFL has gotten offensive enough, I feel like. So that's not exactly what you should want if you're a fan of the NFL. Is them making scoring points easier and easier and easier. But that's seemingly what they're getting because making a catch was hard. And nobody knew what a catch was. Because the old catch rule was so confusing. It hurt my brain. I, I, I never got that. I never understood why the old catch rule was so confusing to so many people. Never confused me. Never confused me. But, you know, all these receivers had to whine incessantly about how, you know, their not catches weren't catches. So, whatever. That was that. So, you know, before we close the show, and one last thing I want, Friday, preseason game three, you know, the dress rehearsal, as some people call it. Some people, some, some of us in the biz like to call it. Is it a 
last game, we're going to be seeing a lot of the starters, a lot of the main people, and what do I want to see in this game? First and foremost, I mean, I'd like to see the Patriots, you know, the defense continue the way it's been playing, the D-line continue to look like they can generate pressure, which they look great in game two in that regard, so I'd like to see them continue that, and then... I Brady himself looked great in game two. Didn't look like he had much rust. Didn't look like he looked like he was as healthy as ever. Like Brady himself looked good. Now, in terms of the offense, I want and I almost feel like you need to see Brady throw to people who are not Edelman, Hogan, and James White. Cause he didn't do that. He literally just did did not do that in game two. Which, if they're gonna succeed in the regular season. At some point, Brady needs to throw to some other people. And obviously Gronk wasn't in that game, and Gronk might play in there. I want to talk about Gronk in a second, but... And they'll also have Gronk in the regular season, but then that's four guys Brady's throwing to. Like, he's gonna have to do more. Like, I know that the pickings are slim, Brady, but you're gonna have to throw to Cordell Patterson, or Decker, or Berrios, or Dorsett. Wendell sucks, but Dorsett, like, you're... Or Kenny Britt. Like, you're gonna have to throw to some of these other people. You're gonna need to utilize more than four receivers. Which I know sucks. Because a lot of those guys aren't very good. But you're gonna have to get them involved. So, listen. It, I'm fine with that. You know, the first time he's out, Brady's just trying to get comfortable with it himself. Throwing to the guys he trusts. That's fair. I don't blame him. But, yeah, now game three. You know, you've had your, your reacclimation game, Brady. Had your time. To get yourself comfortable, now you need to kind of get the offense itself going. And that to get the offense going, you're gonna have to throw to other guys. And I want to see. I feel like you gotta see. It. I mean, I, I want to know that Brady is at least somewhat on the same page with somebody else who's new. One of these, you know, average crappy receivers. I, I gotta see it. So sorry. Like it. I I know it sucks, but you gotta throw the ball to Cordell Patterson at some point, or Britt, or Decker. Dwayne Allen or somebody, one of these crappy guys, you got to throw the ball to them. I know it sucks. I feel bad for Tom, but he's got to do it. So, he's got to do it. And, you know, in the end, I don't really want to see Gronk play. That's been banned about Gronk playing this game last year. I don't really want to see, I, I don't want to see Gronk get hurt. And I just feel like you're playing with fate. Come play. So that's, I can go talk about that more, but yeah, if Gronk got hurt, I would be enraged. I would scorn, scorch the earth. So yeah, I don't want to see Gronk play. So anyway, with all that being said, you've been listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. Thank you to everybody out there who listened. We'll be back next week with the semester starting. So, this is the end of the summer season of the Stadium Experience. We'll be back with the fall season next week, 4 to 6 p.m., right here on 90.7 WXIN, on the Mike K Memorial live stream on Facebook. I'll see you then. Have a lovely last few weeks of summer, everybody, and I will see you next week. <laughs>